The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. We begin a new series today on the seven deadly sins. And so we got a lot of film clips from the Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman movie we're gonna show. No, we're not. That's a pretty, uh, pretty gory movie. We're not gonna be showing that. Um, how many of you uh, grew up in a denomination or a, uh, kind of a faith history where you're familiar with the seven deadly sins? Anybody? Okay, there you go. That's not just something came up with from the movie. You remember when you were a kid and you went to either the uh, carnival or like the fair here and uh, they have that house that you would go into that has all those funky shaped mirrors. What do they call that? The fun house, the fun house, right. Uh, you stand in front of a mirror and your shape becomes all stretched or distorted. You, they'd make you either look really, really tall and skinny or fat and short and squatty and you kind of run through the house. And, and uh, what, what it is, they take something you know, normal, something good, something even beautiful, you and I, right? And they would stretch it, distort it into something somewhat grotesque or a little, you know, something beyond belief. They'd exaggerate it. Well, sin does the same thing in our lives. It does. It takes something that was intended to be good, something beautiful, and distorts it into something absurd, grotesque. Now, it still looks a little bit like the original, so you know what it is, but it just takes it to a place that it was never intended. For example, today we're going to talk about pride. I mean, pride should be something, in a way, that's good in the sense that a healthy self-esteem is a good thing. But sin stretches it way too far and it makes it into something ugly. Gluttony, for example, takes something that, you know, that's meant to be good. I mean, obviously you have to eat to live, but then it takes it to a place that makes it very ugly, a place that was never meant to be. Lust, you know, the same thing. Um, I mean, the human body is beautiful. In fact, I mean, the Bible says that God, that we were created in the image of God. And yet... Lust takes something that should be good and twists it into something evil and causes us to, to stumble, to fall, to sin. So let me give you the big idea for this series for the next seven weeks. We're gonna uh, talk about the, the idea that God wants you and I to finish well, to finish well. That's the big idea. That, that means that God wants you to finish today well. He wants you to uh, end this day with your reputation intact. God wants you to end this day with your character intact. He wants you to finish well. He wants you to finish this week well, this month well. He wants this year to be a year in which you finish well. He wants your life to finish well. Now, if we're not careful though, sin will creep into our lives and cause us to stumble and fall and trip up. In fact, that's what Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, listen to this. Therefore, uh, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith. And what he's referring there to is that he's kind of painting the picture of a race, in fact, uh, like an Olympic race, a marathon. And we are surrounded in Hebrews chapter 11, just got finished talking about all these people of faith who've gone on before us, great people, Abraham, Moses, you know, all these people who've gone on before, and now it's as though they're in the stands, you're running your race, they're cheering you on, and he says, as you come into the Colosseum, you know, you're surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses, 
Strip off every weight that slows you down, especially the what? The sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run our race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. Now, underline the phrase there on your outline, hinders our progress. You see, again, God wants you to finish well, and yet we keep stumbling over our own feet. God is basically saying, hey, you don't have to keep doing that. You don't have to keep tripping yourself up. Instead, you can finish well. You can, you can learn to avoid the sin in your life that's gonna hinder your progress. Now, for just a moment, I want you to think about the end of your life, okay? We don't always like to think about that. It's kind of a morbid thought at times. But the truth is, the, uh, the mortality rate, the death rate, in our country, if you will, still hovers right around 100%, okay? In other words, everybody in this room is going to have an end. In fact, you're gonna, I've said this before, I'm gonna perform all your funerals, okay? So I'm gonna live forever. No, I'm gonna perform all your funerals, McAllister's, Stirs, somewhere like that, then we're gonna go back to the church or back to somebody's house and we're gonna eat fried chicken and potato salad, okay? That's pretty much what the end is going to amount to. Okay, here in the deep south, that's for sure. Um, so, think about the end for a second. 40, 50 years down the road, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? I go to a lot of funerals. I do a lot of funerals. What do you want people to say about you on that day? John Maxwell, he's kind of a, a best-selling a leadership writer, pastor, uh, he wrote this. He said, at the end of your life, we will be summed up basically in one sentence. So go ahead now and choose it. Choose the sentence you want people to say about you now and then live the rest of your life that way. I like that. So at the end of your life, what words will describe you? Look at your outline. Prideful, envious, gluttonous, angry, greedy, slothful, lustful. Or would you rather have these words? Humble, kind, self-controlled, patient, generous, diligent, pure. That's what this series is all about. About finishing, finishing well, finishing your week well, finishing your life well. Now, the seven deadly sins are basically the sin that causes the most damage if you allow it to run free in your life. And so today, we're gonna look at the first of the seven deadly sins. It's called pride, pride. How do we overcome pride? If you're taking notes, number one, understand the primary source of all sin. Understand the primary source of all sin. If we're gonna deal with the sin in our life, we gotta to get to the root cause. In other words, in this series, you know, on Sunday morning, I don't wanna just talk about the symptoms here. You know, you know this is not just about putting a Band-Aid on the externals. I, we wanna get behind it. We wanna deal with the root cause. In fact, Jesus said that to do that, we gotta look at our hearts. In fact, in Mark 7, 21, Jesus put it this way. Listen to this. For from within, underline that phrase. That's an interesting phrase. For from within, and then he describes exactly what he's talking about. Out of a person's what? Heart. 
from the inside. Come, and then he has this big list. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. So where does Jesus say all these things come from? From within, from our heart. Now let me tell you a couple of things about the seven deadly sins. A few observations before we dive into them individually. First of all, uh, this list that we commonly now refer to as the seven deadly sins did not originate with Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. Um, it actually came about uh, in the late sixth century. Uh, you know, and now, now throughout history, people have been making lists, by the way. This is not new either. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, we have the, uh, the famous list, of course, the top 10, the 10 commandments. Uh, we also have in the book of Proverbs, there's a list of seven things that God hates. Uh, Jesus just made this list that we just read. But this particular list, this list of what's now known as the seven deadly sins actually came about in the sixth century from Pope Gregory the Great. And he claimed to have uh, reduced all sin to uh, seven, these, the seven top sins. And he did this by, he said, holding up love as the objective. And if love is the objective, what sin is most offensive to love? And so then he came up with this list. Now, the other thing that I think you should know about this list, before we dive into this individually, because I don't ever want you to think, you know, here at Coastal, man, it's all about beating you up, right? We're gonna, we're gonna, this is all hellfire and brimstone today. We're going into the seven deadly sins, and each week we're gonna name another one of your sins, and we're gonna start nailing people. We, can, we don't do that here at Coastal, okay? The Holy Spirit takes care of that for us, because all of us, all of us are guilty of all seven of these sins, okay? Let's just put that out there. We, we've all committed all of these. We, we, are, we are all prideful. We're all envious. We're all gluttonous from time to time. Nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody can hold ourselves up as any higher than anybody else here, okay? The ground is level at the cross. We, we say this regularly. We are all sinners in need of a savior here. Okay, so today we are going to talk about pride. Now, as you look at this list, you see the sin there on your outline, but you also see the corresponding what? Virtue. Now, what we're going to, what I want to accomplish in this series is I want us to do some replacement ministry. In fact, uh, that's what, that's what Jesus was all about. In fact, what we want to do is we want to remove pride but we want to replace it with humility. You see, if, you, if we just you know, talk about you know, taking out the sin in our life and we don't replace it with anything, man, it's just going to come back and it's going to come back even more intensely. In fact, Jesus taught that. He said that if you just remove sin from your life and you don't fill it with something, you don't fill that hole that's left with something, that sin is going to come back and it's going to come back twice as strong. I mean, if that's not true, think about the times, for example, you've gone on a diet. You go on a diet, a very specific you know, diet for a specific period of time, and maybe you lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds, whatever. You go off the diet, and then what tends to happen? You gain weight. You gain not only 10 pounds, but you gain 20 pounds back. You've got to replace the diet with a what? What's it called? A lifestyle, right? A healthy lifestyle. The same is true of the sin in our life. You gotta remove pride, but you gotta replace it with something. Humility. 
Same thing with envy. We gotta remove envy and replace it with kindness. Now here's the good news for all followers of Jesus in here. You ready? God is in the replacement business. I mean, God is always wanting to do this great exchange in our lives. He will exchange our sin for his righteousness, his forgiveness. He will exchange our pride for his humility, our envy for his kindness, our gluttony for his self-control. Another observation. You know, as you look at this list, honestly, is this the list that you would make of the, the, the seven you know, deadly sins? I mean, if I actually had to force you to define, and you would sit down and come up with what you thought are the seven most deadly, destructive sins in our culture. Is this what you would come up with? I mean, I, I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at the list and I'm going, okay, where's, where's rape on here? You know, where's murder? Where's oppression? Where's, where's genocide? So, one of the things I think you might notice about the seven deadly sins is that in some ways, they don't seem, at first glance, I mean, very deadly. But what I want you to see today, what, what you're gonna see over the coming, coming weeks is that the primary ingredients of all of the major problems that we face in this world are right here in this list. Take, for example, uh, racism. I mean, if, if racism is the issue, think about the ingredients that make up racism. Um, pride's gotta be there, right? Pride's gotta be one of those ingredients because pride says that that group of people, that person is not as good as I am. I have more value than they do. I'm, I'm better than they are. And then maybe you, you gotta add a little bit of envy because envy says there's something about you that threatens me. And uh, I don't want you to have what you have. I want it. Or... Um, and then you got to roll into that anger, toss in a little bit of greed, and then you got racism. I think you could do that for like every major sin. So here in this list, we got these ingredients behind. It's the root of all the major problems that we face. So if we're going to deal with the problem, we got to deal with the, what's behind it. We got to deal with the root. We got to deal with the heart. And so today we're going to start with pride. Pride. Pride's defined in your notes there as just an excessive belief in one's own ability. Now again, right, it's good to have a, a, a healthy belief in who you are and your abilities, and we call that a healthy self-esteem. But like the funhouse mirror, sin takes that healthy self-esteem, something good, something you know, healthy, and it twists it and distorts it exaggerates it, like that house of mirrors. And, and you know, in fact, think about pride, think about stretching. We call pride sometimes getting a what? A big head, right? Well, pride occurs when I think that I'm better than somebody else. It's when I think I've got all the answers. It's when, in fact, it's when I don't need anyone else to the point where I don't need God. Now, that's the ultimate expression of pride. In fact, the only way you're gonna to come to the Lord, the only way you come to God for the very first time is just through humility. You know, but it's when I think that I don't need God in my life or I crave attention. 
You know, look at me, look at me. It's when I pretend that I'm in control of everything. Or it's when I do something or even give something or I even do some sort of good action, but it's so that I can get the attention where it's all about me. So how do we deal with that? Well, the first way we're gonna deal with it is, again, not only to acknowledge that it's the root cause, it's, it's the heart, but we've also got to acknowledge that we got a problem with it in the first place. And that leads me to number two, acknowledge my problem with pride. Acknowledge that, that I got a problem. You know, pride's a heart issue. Uh, pride's when we raise the opinion of ourselves up to the, the level of God. I mean, think about it. Pride was actually part of, part of Satan's problem at the fall. Satan didn't want to bow his knee to God, didn't want to recognize that God was in control, didn't want to recognize that God was his creator. And sometimes we're just like that. We're like, okay, God, you're pretty good, but I'm right up there with you, right? That's pride. So what do we do about it when we've got that exaggerated problem of pride in ourselves. Well, first of all, we gotta recognize too, it causes all kinds of problems. In fact, on your, on your outline here, there's some references there, uh, four verses from the book of Proverbs. And uh, you go home and look these up, they're gonna be on the screen here. I want you to look at some of the problems that pride can cause in our lives. And I think you would agree with this. Proverbs 11.2, it says, pride leads to what? What's the word? Disgrace. You ever seen that on the news? Where pride has led to uh, someone who's become full of pride, full of themselves, and eventually leads to disgrace. The next one, Proverbs 13, 10. Pride leads to what? what go ahead and flip the verse. Pride leads to what? Conflict. Think about that. Most of the arguments, most of the conflicts that we, that we have happen when we hold on to the belief that we are right and everybody else is wrong, or when we're just unwilling to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. That's pride. That, that, and it, it creates all kind of conflict. Think about it in marriage. Almost every conflict in marriage has at its source pride. You know, one one spouse thinks they're right, another spouse thinks they're right, and instead of wanting to resolve the situation or work for the betterment of the family, it becomes about winning an argument and proving that I'm right and you're wrong, and that's pride. Look at the next one. Pride goes before what? Destruction and haughtiness before a fall. I mean, you can track it. You know, whenever you see someone become prideful, if they don't bring that under control pretty soon, it is going to lead to a major disaster. In fact, it even gets worse. Look at the next one. Pride ends in, what's the word? Humiliation. Humiliation. It does. You know, that, that, that's where it's headed. That's where that's going. So, what's the answer? It's humility. Humility brings honor. How do we deal with pride? We admit that pride causes all these problems. So it starts with confession. Look at the next verse on your outline. 1 John 1, 9. It says, but if we confess, if we admit it, if we confess it, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us 
and to cleanse us from every wrong. Here's what confession means. If you're writing notes, write this down. It means to agree with. It just means to agree with God, to admit it, that you got a problem. That to agree with God from time to time that you have a big head. That from time to time you want your own way. That from time to time you do things to draw attention to yourself. That from time to time you let your head swell. So you admit it, you acknowledge it, you confess it, and then that leads us to step three. It is to humble myself before God. If I wanna deal with this deadly sin of pride, ultimately, ultimately it comes from humbling myself before God. Now, humility. We look at humility and we think, man, that's a sign of weakness. You know, I wanna be strong. Well, humility is not. It's the opposite. It is power under control. Humility is an everyday thing. It's not a Sunday thing. Humility actually is pride in God. It's pride in God. It's when you take your pride that you want for yourself and you put it on the only place and on the only person where it's proper and where it's right. You put it in God. Humility is pride pride in God. God, I'm proud of you. God, you're God. I'm not. God, you have all the answers. I don't. God, you're the source of my strength. You're number one. You're the CEO. You're everything that I hold on to for myself. God, you're God. And so when you do that, when you humble yourself, you put yourself, this is where it's awesome. This is where God does this great exchange. You humble yourself before God and it puts you in a position for God to infuse you with his power and your strength. When God moves into your life, he's gonna move into your life in a more powerful, intimate, stronger way than ever before. But as long as you've got pride in your life, you're actually in a place where God opposes you, where he resists you. Look at how James says it in James 4, 6 and 7. It says, God, what? What's the next word? God opposes. How would you like God opposing you? God is against you. That's one battle you are not gonna win. I mean, I don't wanna be on the opposite side of God. It says, God opposes thee, what? the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. So I want you to practice that today. I wanna give you some practical steps you could put into action this week. Look at your outline. This is a list called the 12 Actions of Humility. It's based actually on a classic sermon by St. Benedict called the 12 Steps of Humility. St. Benedict was the founder of the uh, modern day monastic life, founder of the first monastery. He preached a famous sermon called the 12 Steps of Humility and then that was turned into these 12 action steps. So I want you to read over this list and I want you to maybe pick one that you could put into practice in your life, maybe just one over the next week. Remember, much of life, growing, taking steps, whether it's physically, financially, even spiritually, are about small changes made over time, done consistently, make a huge impact, okay? And that's true here in dealing with your pride. So look at this list. Let me highlight just a few. Um, number two, uh, for example, seek God's will above my own. Listen, it doesn't take a strong person to always have their way, where it's always gotta be about you, always do what you want to do. But it takes a very strong person to say, God, living my life is not about me, it's about you. It's where you pray what Jesus prayed in John six thirty eight: God, not my will done, be done, but your will be done. 
What if you started every, every day this week? Remember we talked about beginning your day with God last week. We talked about grow, uh, getting fit spiritually. What if during that time, um, this were your prayer? God, today, it's not about me. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Um, that's humility. That's an action of strength. Um, number four, that's a, a kind of an interesting one. Maybe, maybe you've not thought about it before this way. It says, persevere through sickness and affliction quietly. You ever thought about sickness and struggle or trial as an opportunity for pride? Why is that? Well, have you ever seen somebody when they're sick, it becomes all about them and you've got to pander to them and baby them and do all their work for them and they become whiny and it becomes, that's, guys, that's pride. That's pride. Sickness and affliction could be an opportunity for you to humble yourself. You know, it's a person of great strength who can persevere through sickness quietly. Study God's word. Here's a great one. Practice praising others. Use your gifts and talents this week to serve somebody else. How about this one, number eight? Plan regular times of fasting. Uh, throughout the ages, Christians have practiced the spiritual discipline of fasting. Fasting, by the way, is not always giving up food. You know, we're coming into the season of Lent. Uh, fasting um, is not always about just food. It can be giving up that one thing that you're a slave to. That one thing that has a hold on you. Maybe in our culture today, for you it might be technology. It might be caffeine. Ooh, yeah, might be chocolate. I don't know. Um, number nine, uh, be a friend to somebody who is going through a difficult time. This one's, this, this one's good for me and my family because we have the gift of sarcasm in our family. Um, restrict your sarcasm because sometimes sarca sarcasm can be a weapon in which you are just seeking to put down other people and elevate yourself. How about this? Speak gently and practice silence. Number 12, be modest in my appearance and my actions. So look over the list, maybe pick one that you could take this week and just commit to that one. Here, here's why, because here's the goal. If you're taking notes, here's the goal to live a life of de decreasing pride and increasing humility. That's the goal. You know, decreasing pride, increasing humility. It's, it's the attitude of John the Baptist who said this. Remember this this week. He must become greater, I must become less. Say that with me. He must become greater, I must become less. Say it again. He must become greater, I must become less. Make that your prayer this week. God, it's not about me. I want Jesus to shine through me. And the thing that ties all this together, all this together is keeping our eyes 
fixed on Jesus. Go back to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12.1. Remember, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially, that's what we're talking about, the sin that so easily hinders our progress, keeps us from finishing well, the sin that keeps us from finishing today well, finishing this week well, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, how do we do that? How does that happen? How do we finish well? And he says, listen to it, we do this by, what's the next phrase? What do we do? Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Guys, that is not just a cliche. It's, it's focusing on him on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew he would, would be his afterwards. Now, think about that for a second. When Jesus was on the cross, that was the ultimate act of humility, the ultimate act of power under control, the ultimate act of pride in God and what God was planning, what God was gonna do. Now, a lot of people that day looked at what Jesus did on the cross, not as a sign of strength, but a sign of what? Weakness. He had been defeated. Don't you think Satan was, was you know, just laughing to himself, thinking, Finally, it's over, it's done. This, this, this thing has been squelched. I have beat God, I, I have killed his son. He is dead, he has been defeated. But Jesus said, through my humility, through my sacrifice is going to come strength because three days later, God rose him from the dead and sin and Satan were defeated. Don't you see, humbling ourselves before God is an ultimate act of strength because it's our pride properly placed, not in ourselves, but in God. In fact, let me close with this passage. This talks about this attitude of humility that we're to have. Philippians chapter two, listen to this. Your attitude, our attitude, should be just the same as Jesus, who being in very nature God. Now, if you're gonna have pride, don't you think you could have a whole lot of pride if in very nature you are God, okay? That's about as high as you can get. Did not consider, though, equality with God something to be grasped. In Greek, the word grasp means something to be selfishly held on to. But he emptied all of that. He set all that aside. He became nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, he was made in human likeness. And being found as a man, he what? What's the word? He humbled himself. And he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself. And listen, when he did that, as a result of doing that for you and for me, and, and, and the Bible says we're to have the same attitude, then God did what? God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should what? Bow. Act of humility. Act of humility. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, what? What's the word? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how's your attitude? 
Is it all about you? Have you taken that very first step of humility, that very first step in dealing with the heart issue of pride? You know what it is? It's right here. It's to bow your knee and to admit you're a sinner in need of a savior and confess that Jesus is Lord. You can take that first step today. For those of you who've already taken that first step, you know, sometimes we take that step and I think we walk away from time to time and we don't have the same attitude as Jesus had of going lower and going lower. Not about me, it's about God. God, less of me and more of you. Let's change that. Let's confess it, let's admit it, and let's this week make it more about him and less about us. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal, or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.